Welcome to Catch the Fire Toronto's weekly sermon podcast. This message was recorded live at Catch the Fire Church in Toronto, Canada. We hope you enjoy it. A few weeks ago, Kathy and I uh, needed to uh, take a trip, so we were in Terminal 1 over here at Toronto Airport, as, uh, as we've been so many times before. And we quickly moved through all the way to security. It was pretty easy. You know, sometimes it's not that easy, but it was, it was easy. And as we got there, you know, you, you, you kind of feel the pressure. We had lots of time before our, our plane was coming, but we kind of feel the pressure, at least I do. You know, so you have to, you know, check your belt and your, maybe your shoes, uh, your, you know, all your devices, etc. And so... You know, the bin goes off, with, the bins go off with all your stuff, and I go through with never a beep, and then I notice that they've moved one of my trays to the inside, which means they're going to check it for drugs or something. And um, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, he's always on drugs, but um, no, that's not me. Uh, anyway, uh, I get there, there's the guy, he ch- does his thing, it's all okay, so... Uh, that's that's great. And, you know, you put everything back on and stick it back in your bag and off we go. So we go down to gate D44, which where we were is the farthest place you can go from security at that moment. So we get all the way down there and I take my backpack off and I think there's something wrong here. And I open it up and I realize, oh, no, I've left my computer and Kathy's iPad at security. So I'm stressed. And I trundle all the way back and up the stairs. And the guy, the same guy that I dealt with is there. So I said, oh, I'm, you know, I've left this stuff here. And uh, could, you, could you find it? So he looks around. He can't see it. And he goes to this other side. Oh, there it is. So, the, you know, the bin comes over. And I get my devices back. And I'm, I'm pretty relieved. So I go all the way down again, all the way down to D44. And I, you know, put my stuff in my, my backpack. And then I think... Uh, I should put my Nexus card back in my wallet, and then I and I start I start to hunt around, and I uh, I can't find it. I my wallet, but it's not in there. I go through every zippered pocket, and there's what six or something in my bag. I go through every pocket, it's not there. I I do this three times. Meanwhile, Kathy's on the phone, and she's not sharing in my angst at all. I'm kind of wanting to say to her, "I've lost this," but she's on the phone, so I'm like, "Oh." I got to go back. So I go back because I remember having it at security. So I go all the way back up the stairs. They've now had a shift change. So this is not a good sign. So, um, so I find somebody. I say, oh, I, I think I've lost my, you know, I had my Nexus card here. By the way, all the way back, I'm looking to see if I've dropped it. I hadn't. I get there. She looks. She can't find it. And then she goes to somebody else, and, sa- and then she comes back and says, oh, I think maybe the manager has it. So I have to wait because the manager's busy. And finally, he comes, and he asks me, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. And he's smiling, and then I'm smiling, and it's all good. It's all good. So I start, I start going back, and I'm so relieved that I start giggling. Now, I don't really giggle, but I start giggling, and I'm giggling out loud. And that doesn't make you look good in public. You know, you're like giggling like a madman for no reason. You're going down with all these people. Anyway, I giggled all the way back because I was so relieved at having gotten back these things that I, I had lost. So 
Uh, this is kind of what Jesus is trying to get across uh, in the uh, episode in Luke that Luke records in chapter 15. And you, you know some of these stories, and I'll talk about them in a, sec, a second. But he's trying to get across to his hearers something about God and about why he's doing what he's doing. This is how Luke records this. He says, now, there, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. It sounds great, doesn't it? But... The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This, um, some of you know about tax collectors. Tax collectors, of course, were Jewish people who collected taxes for the Romans. So that was already looked down upon because, well, sometimes, often, they would extort extra money. It's probably how they made their money, actually. So the tax was this, they would ask for this. And so they, they, they were... They were despised and they were seen as traitors as well because they were working for the Romans. But for the Pharisees especially, uh, who they had taken on uh, some things that were not originally part of, of basic Judaism. They took on a kind of, how would I say this, uh, 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 super uh, religiousness. So uh, the, the priests had certain washings, etc., had to be very careful about you know, not becoming unclean. Well, the Pharisees picked up some of these kinds of practices. So, so the Pharisees would never invite a non-Jew to their home. They'd never invite them to have dinner. It, it just it was like, no. And the sinners were not really sure exactly what this phrase means. It's probably a catch-all for, for people who just kind of had low-level jobs. And their jobs had a, a, a bit of uncouthness to them. You know, so, so they might have been tanners, for instance, who deal with all kinds of nasty uh, substances. Uh, today it would be maybe garbage men. Uh, again, tax collectors, prostitutes, etc. And there was always this sense with these people, according to the, the muckety-mucks, a, a bit of like, ooh, like, ooh, just unclean. We don't have anything to do with them. Which sounds weird to us. Uh, it's easy to look down on the Pharisees, who were probably the evangelicals of the day. But in reality, our society is not really much different. Because we still have a kind of strata. There's the people who matter and the people who don't. The people who have value and the people who don't. And, and the people at the top are, you know, the A-listers. Right? They're, they're Elon Musk and... Uh, uh, well, I would have said Brad and Angelina Jolie, but, you know, they're separate now. And if you didn't know that, I'm really, really sorry to have spoiled that for you. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's those kind of people that matter. And, and how this works is, well, you, you pay attention to those people. You give a time and attention. And, of course, if you're associated with them, then that makes you look good. But you don't really give it to the people who don't matter. That, that just doesn't look good. It doesn't do anything for you. In fact, it may work against you. So our societies in some ways are not that different. There's a, there's a kind of pecking order, and as much as Christians we'd like to say, well, we don't buy into that, sometimes we fall into it anyway. And it's, so this, there's, the, there's this kind of strata in life, and Jesus is going against the strata. He's going against the very worldview, and what that does is it confuses the religious leaders. 
At the very least, it confuses them, and, and probably it makes them upset. Well, it does make them upset, because this is not how it's supposed to work. And this is not, you know, if you're a man from God, then you're not going to be doing this, because God doesn't do this. So Jesus begins to tell these three parables, and he has some other teachings at the end of it, but these three parables to try and change this worldview. They're muttering because he's meeting with these unacceptable people. And he's trying to tell them, no, no, you don't understand. Here's why I'm doing this. It's because this is what God is like. He's not like you think he is in your image. He has a different image. He's himself. So, uh, so he begins uh, talking about this, uh, th this, this whole system by saying this. He, he talks about, of course, the 99. You remember the story about the 99 sheep. So a uh, shepherd leaves 99 sheep in the open place because they probably won't be attacked out in the open place. Maybe there's some other shepherds around. And he goes off to find one. And when he finds the one, he's really happy. He's really happy. And he comes back. Uh, but then it says this, and this is Luke 15, 6. This is a bit of a surprise, I suppose. It says, he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, come on and rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. Now just think about that for a moment. I agree this is not going to be the same, but let's say you lost your dog. Who's the dog owner here? Any cat owners? Sorry. Um, just kidding. God's playing a joke on me. He, my daughter just bought a, a dog, only it looks like a cat, so I'm not really sure how to relate to it. Um, so let's say you lost your dog, and you can't find your dog. You love your dog. And the neighbor brings the dog, you, or you find the dog in, in the neighbor's garbage, and you bring it home, and you're happy, right? Right? Who's lost their dog before? Yeah, you know this story. It's good, isn't it? Now, do you, get on, um, do you get on the phone, text, Instagram, whatever, and tell your friends, come over and hang out and let's have a party? Well, not really. You might tell them the story. Oh, Dodo ran away, and then I found him, and man, I'm so glad to get him back, but that's it. You don't... You don't call everybody together and have a party. But Jesus says this is what the shepherd does. Why? Because this is what God does in heaven. When one person is rescued, he's over the top excited. He's ecstatic. So ecstatic that he calls everybody else in heaven. Hey, rejoice with me. Okay, that, that's not normal. But then... What is, what is normal when it comes to God? Second story is pretty much the same kind of thing. So a woman, she loses a, a silver coin, if you're in the New International, but it's a, a drachma. She loses, it's, it's like a, a day or two days pay, depending on sort of the, where you are in the skill level of society. So she, she loses it. And, and then what she does is she, she, she lights a lamp because in those days the houses, there, there wasn't much light in the house. She lights a lamp and she gets her broom out and she begins to sweep because it's the only way of kind of finding this thing in the dark. 
When she hears the, the tinkle or whatever it is of, of metal moving, then she knows where it is and she gets it back. And, and this is the same point. She finds this valuable thing. And what does she do? Is she happy? Yes, she's happy. But again, she's over the top. She calls her friends together and, and, and wants to rejoice with them. Uh, here is what it says. She calls her friends, neighbors together. It's not just like on the phone, hey, guess what happened? I lost this thing and now I got it back. It's really good. Yeah, I'm happy today. It's a good day. No, she calls them together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. Again, this is kind of over the top. And the point is the same. Third uh, parable you all know, prodigal son. You have a, a young son who asks his dad for the inheritance. Who knows if that's normal or not, but he does. The father then splits the inheritance. And at some time after that, the son goes off for wild living. And there's an economic downturn, and he ends up bankrupt, eating the food that the pigs eat, which is not good for a nice Jewish boy. Then he thinks, you know, it was so good in my father's house. Even the servants were eating better than this. I'm just going to go back and be a servant. I mean, it's got to be better than this is. So, of course, he goes back, and you know the story. The father sees him from a distance and races with this kind of abandon to sweep his son into his arms and overrides the son's, you know, planned, uh, I just want to be a servant. He just overrides all of that. Puts the ring in his finger, gives him the nice cloak, you know, says, let's have a party, fill the, you know, kill the fatted calf, fill the catted, fat, you know, that doesn't work, does it? Kill the fatted calf. And there's a party. And, and uh, the story actually should end there. I probably said this a billion times before, but, you know, Jesus is a fabulous storyteller because what he does is he tells familiar stories and he gets everybody on board and then he turns the left corner sharply. And it's the same here. He gets everybody on board. Yeah, yeah, I know about this story. Yep, my neighbor over there, his son, uh, his son went off to that nasty Greek city over there and they had a good time. I guess it's just horrible what they were doing over there. And, and uh, you know, the, yeah, I know about this. And yeah, the son tried to come back. Uh-huh, yeah. And then, but then Jesus begins to talk about not the younger son and the father, but about the older son. And this catches everybody on guard. They're following behind in his story and then, what? It's like a smack in the head. And he begins to say, not just about the younger son, but he says, hey, the older son, the older son is not happy that the younger son came in. He's mad. He's jealous. He's mad. Who knows what it's all about? But he says to his father, well, you never did this for me. And the father is mystified. He says, but this is all yours. You got to have this anytime you want it. And of course, Jesus is really kind of giving a poke back at the Pharisees. He's giving a poke back at all of us who, you know, we get in this rut sometimes about, you know, who we are, what it means to be a Christian, and da 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 and, and, and sometimes we get a bit weirded out when people become Christians, when, when God's grace falls upon people that we don't think fit or are worthy. And certainly that's the story here. Jesus is saying, hey, we, we, all of this is open to us. 
Doesn't matter where, whether we're rebellious or whether we're in a religious straitjacket, it's all open to us. The reality is this, that the Father, Father God wants to find us. He wants to find you. And he wants to find me. Doesn't matter whether we are fully lost, whether we've drifted away, whether we're the high end of society or the low end of society, whether we're educated, uneducated, doesn't matter where we are. The Father wants to find us. And he wants to find us with his love and with his joy. That's what he wants. And I want you to notice that the first move is always God's. It's always God's, this first move. God always takes the initiative. It's not like we woke up one day and said, you know, life isn't working very well for me. Maybe, maybe I should try God or something. Now, probably a lot of us have said it. I've certainly said it. But it wasn't the first thing that was said. It wasn't the first thing that was planned. God always planned for us before we ever had a clue. Before we even knew we were in trouble. It was always his plan. This is from the beginning. His plan was to send his son to rescue us. And it's not like God, you know, the father is saying, yeah... They've made a mess of things. Probably should do something about that. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I guess I'll do something. No, that's, not, that's not it at all. It's that he wants to do this and he initiates because he wants to do this. He's, he's not obligated. He's not beholden to anybody. He wants to make the first move. And he's always made the first move. As, as I said, for anybody who's taken the Kendall Life Languages um, you know, he's the ultimate shaper. He has a plan. And he's working the plan. He's initiated the plan. And, and this is the beautiful part about, about the plan, is it's not just Jesus coming to earth and rescuing us. It's rescuing us into the Father's embrace. Uh, I've, I've used this example before because it was, it was a revelation to me, I would say. But, but, you know, if you were on the Titanic and the Titanic was going down, you wouldn't want to be in that water. You would want somebody to rescue you. But you go into the water anyway. And thankfully, somebody comes along in a little boat and pulls you out. Or maybe if you watch the movie, you know you were on the, on the board, right? On the door. Who's seen the movie Titanic? <sighs> Didn't you all say, why doesn't, why doesn't she move over so that Leonardo DiCaprio can get on the, on, the, on the door? Why does she just stay there and let him drown? You know, anyway, forget that. Uh, scrub that, okay, from the internet. Anyway, you know, the, the point is that it's not just, yes, oh man, I was freezing and now you've pulled me into the boat and now I'm saved. Yes, kind of. You're saved from something, but what are you saved to? See, those people, if they'd, been in the, if, they, if they'd been on the Titanic and gone down and been rescued into a boat and maybe even a bigger ship, they wouldn't have expected to stay the rest of their lives on those ships. There was something else that was part of the rescue. It was to go back to, to, to their homeland or wherever they're going with their family and their friends. 
Right, so Jesus comes not just to rescue us out of something, but into something. What is that something? It's into the Father's embrace. It's into the love that exists between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father initiates. Jesus initiates. But, you know, the thing that sets off Jesus telling these stories is because actually what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing is eating with people who are unacceptable. You know, sometimes the way that we tell the gospel story is God sent his son into the world. And when, when he got old enough, he began to preach about the kingdom. He did some incredible miracles. And then he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And then, we're, and then was resurrected. So we could be resurrected. And it's a pretty good story. But it, it you know, that misses 90% of the Gospels. You know, the, the Gospel, that's not the whole of the Gospel story. You know, if that was the story, you could cut out 80, 90% of what's in the Gospels. What, what, what is that 80, 90%? It's not just about what Jesus did in that plan. It's about how he did it. And how he does it is, he eats with people who are unacceptable. It tells you everything about who God is. You know, Jesus, Jesus could have just eaten with his homies, right, with the 12. He could have, uh, you know, he could have done his big preaching and then, you know, gone back to the hotel and had room service. But he, that's not what he did. He ate with the people, and especially the people who were unacceptable. And that's, that's everything about who God is and how he feels about us. It, it is a, a tangible demonstration of love and connection that, that he wants between him and us. So he eats with the people who are unacceptable. And the joy, of course, that the stories tell about, the joy is beyond what is normal for human beings. It's funny sometimes how we try to judge God by our standards. And usually we judge, the, judge him harshly by our standards. But there are all these other places where God is way better than our standards. Way better than we know. Way better than the best of us do. And this is one of them. And it reveals a father who's way beyond what we normally think who will move against the tide of society and our expectations to break them open to find us. So if I could take some liberties with the text, I would say that God, when he finds us, laughs and dances and giggles. And not just at the moment of our salvation, the moment when we're drawn into relationship, but all the way. It's not like he says, yeah, oh, you're here, good, come on in, all right, good. Now let's move on with some other business. Move on to be happy about somebody else. No, he's happy about every new person that comes into relationship with him and continues to be happy. Um, I think, it, I can't remember who it was this morning in between services or between meetings said, you know, um, oh, it was David, David Askew, who's one of the cameramen. He said, you know, uh, it's like having a baby, right? You, you have a child and you're so over the top. 
And you don't stop being over the top. It's not like the child becomes one and you don't care anymore. Right? No, you have deep affection for that child, for that person, for the rest of your life. A few years ago, uh, two of our friends uh, moved to, to Japan. Um, he, he worked for Arthur Anderson, which was one of the big five accounting firms. He was an IT guy. And um, that company no longer exists because it was um, part of the Enron scandal. But um, one day, uh, they counted it as family day. So the whole staff got time off. They gave them tickets to go to Disneyland. And so off my friend Tom and Karen went, and their two boys, they went off to Disneyland. Nine o'clock at night, they're coming home. There's a train station right there. They get their tickets, and they notice that the train is pulled into the station. So they start to run. They run up onto the platform. But their, their youngest son, who's nine, Carter, he runs a bit ahead of them, and he gets on the train, and the doors close. And Karen, as the, as the train is moving now out of the station, Karen's running along, banging on the, frantically on the, on the car. And at the last second, she says, get off at the next station. Now, there's a problem here because if he doesn't get off at the next station, well, at the end, it's Tokyo. And, and, and he has no ID. He has no phone numbers. He's nine years old. And the station is crowded. There's 100 exits. They'll never find him. And on top of that, they don't know if this train is, is local. Even if he does get off, is, is it local? Is he getting off at, like, at the literal next station? Or is it an express, which only stops every so often? So they're freaking out. Uh, Tom calls his coworker and hands the phone to somebody who works there. The guy says, yes, it was an express train that just pulled out, and the next one is 15 minutes. 15 minutes, which turns into an eternity, you know, right? They get on. They get to the next station. It starts to slow down. They're scanning through the windows. They can't see him. They get out. They split up. They start to search all around, and he's not there. This little old lady comes up to her and says, boy. She points. And so they go, and they go down the stairs, and there he is in the ticket booth with the, with the guy eating a snack. Now, you can imagine how relieved and overjoyed they felt. Well, that's how God feels about us. Every single one. He feels this joy. Why don't you just stand up? If you can, if you wish. I want you to just repeat this after me, if you will. My rescue makes him smile. My rescue makes him laugh. My rescue makes him light up on the inside. Believe it. If you've never known Jesus, I want to invite you to choose him today. He loves you more than you can know. His joy over you 
is beyond expectation. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows all of your victories, all of your mediocrities, and all of your failures. I mean, all of them. There's nothing hidden. He knows them all. And still, he wants you to know him. He wants you to come into the Father's embrace. So if, if you'd like that, maybe you're not even quite sure. Like, I'm not really sure how this is going to work. I, I kind of am drawn to him, but I, uh, okay, I want you to just pray after me. Okay, there's no harm, no foul. Lord Jesus, I want to get to know you. And I don't know how to do that. Will you come to me? Will you even come into my heart? Change my life. And help me to, to know you more. Help me to experience the love of the Father. Now, uh, if you're in the room, I know there's many people online right now, just receive and look for the love of the Father. Look for the love of Jesus. But if you're in the room and you want somebody to actually pray with you or talk through some things with you, there's a really great team right up here. Okay, so you can come now, you can come after the service. That, that'd be great. They'd love to talk to you, to pray with you. Now, for some of us in the room, um, we've accepted Jesus. We, we, we've known Jesus. We, we, we know about God. We know about the Bible, all of those kinds of things. But it may be that we feel like there's, there's kind of a distance here that I'm aware of, don't really like. And you'd like to shorten that distance. You'd like to get rid of that distance. And you'd like to really experience full on the love, the joy, the expectancy, the ecstasy that God has over you. That the Father has for, for you and Jesus has for you. And, and it may be that you feel like, oh, I don't know, I, I, I don't really feel, I feel a bit unworthy about all of this. A bit, bit embarrassed about all this. I've been a Christian for a long time. Don't let, don't let that stop you. I said earlier today that um, I, I had this uh, issue going on uh, quite a while ago, and I went to, the, you know, went to the doctor, sent me to a specialist, and the specialist looked at me and said, yeah, okay, um, uh, you know, could be whatever, could be something. I want you to do X and Y, and then come and, and visit me in my clinic. Well, I didn't do X and Y right away. And then when it was possible for me to do X and Y, it just had taken so long, I was embarrassed. Like too embarrassed to go to the clinic. Which is, I know you're thinking that's really stupid. Well, yeah, it was. But in fact, that's how some of us feel. We feel like, oh, I just, my chance was over there. And I, I just kind of, I've drifted in along and I haven't really taken action. And so, oh, that's, that's, I'm a bit embarrassed about that. Don't be embarrassed about that. The invitation of God to, to, to have us know him more, to experience him more, is not a one-time deal, like it has an expiration date. There's no expiration date on this. So the invitation is open for all of us who feel some distance to draw close to him and have him draw close to us. So if that's you, I want you to just pray with me. Okay, just repeat after me. Lord, I, I want to know you more. I, I want to experience the fullness of your love. 
and the joy that you have over me. And I, I, for, for a moment, for a moment, I'm just going to leave behind my past and any embarrassment. And I, I, and, and I ask you to come to me and show me your affection. Let me see and feel your affection for me. I believe that today the Lord wants to restore some things that have been lost. The, the phrase lost and found has been in my mind for a week or so. And, and, and first of all, I know we talk about finances uh, sometimes uh, a fair amount actually here, but, but I actually think that's, that God wants to restore something to do with finances. Can, maybe to do with goods and things like that, but it's mostly finances. Things that have been stolen from you or taken away or things that were supposed to come to you uh, or for some reason, they just never, they, it never happened. So if that's you, I want you to pray with me. You ready? Okay, Lord. Uh, there's this stuff, this money, this finance that I should have had or that was stolen from me. And, and Lord, I want that found. I want what has been lost to me restored. And I ask you now uh, to be my benefactor to be my representative and to search those things out and to restore them to me. I want what is lost to be found today. I also felt like, um, second of all, relationships that have been lost in one of two ways. One, you know, many of you, this is, doesn't take a genius to know this, but many of us have friends uh, relatives, uh, uh, you know, children, parents who we've uh, have been, we, that relationship has been broken somehow. Maybe you know what it is. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's their fault. Maybe it's a mystery. Doesn't matter. But you have these relationships that have been broken and lost. But it may also be that there's people that you know, those same kind of people, and it's not that you've, the relationship has been lost, but they themselves have fallen into a place that you might call lost. You know, they've fallen into a lifestyle, into an addiction, into uh, uh, just a life situation that is not working for them. And it pains your heart to see them down there. Now, if you have any one of those situations, just again, let's pray together. Lord, I have, and you can just name the person. Just go ahead right now and name them. That I deeply care about. And the relationship has been broken. Or they, they've fallen into a pit. And Lord, I ask for you to restore that person to me. And you can, you can name them again. Lord, I ask that you restore so-and-so to me. I want what is lost to be found. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you that you are so good and so kind to us. 
that you initiate, that you seek us out, that you, you love us with a love and a joy that we can't even imagine. Will you this week impress on us the reality of those things? Come to us wherever we are and just keep hounding us with your love and your affection for us. We love you, Lord. Amen. We hope you encounter God and were inspired by this message today. To watch video of this message and other messages from Catch the Fire in Toronto, visit catchthefire.tv. Catch the Fire has churches, schools, events, missions and media all around the world. To find out more, visit catchthefire.com.